How's it guys? My name is Mark Haystick and I'm the host of the Birding Life Youth Podcast. On today's episode, we have John Kinghorn joining us as a special guest to talk about a couple of topics. So John Kinghorn has been on the Birding Life Podcast before and has chatted with Adam, but today we're having a chat especially for youth. So welcome to the Birding Life Youth Podcast, John. No, thanks Mark. Appreciate it. And um, yeah, appreciate us finally finding a time to sit down and have a chat. So I know we've been meaning to do it for quite some time and I'm glad we finally had a, had an opportunity to do so and I'm looking forward to the chat. Yeah, I'm so glad we can actually finally get together and uh, have a chat because anything and everything has prevented us from actually getting together and having a conversation like we've been wanting to for basically the last few weeks. Um, so yeah, we were supposed to have recorded yesterday um, but after you had an emergency at work and today was global big day was happening, um, I'm so glad we actually decided to record tonight because otherwise I would have had to record at a nature reserve where there's not good signal. So it might have had just been a mess up anyways. So I'm actually really glad we got to record today. Um, but uh, yeah, so we've actually got some pretty cool topics here. Um, and so I hear you, you've got a you now started working a lot more, obviously, since uh, yesterday was quite a hard time to get the podcast going. But you said you actually have some good birding going on uh, where you work. And it's uh, sort of like you get to go birding when you go to work anyway. Uh, tell us a bit about the stuff you see there. Yeah, so the birding around Gauteng is fantastic overall. Um, obviously, we've got this massive, what we can refer to as a megatropolis, this combined area that is... Pretoria and Johannesburg and the in-betweens, i.e. Centurion and Midrand. And basically, it is this massive urban forest setting. Um, and we find some really, really interesting stuff that turns up within it. But the sooner we start you know, branching out and away from the city centers and this sort of middle area between Joburg and Pretoria, respect, respectfully, um, you can get an array of different habitats. And I think that's what makes birding in around you know, the wider Gauteng area so interesting, so productive is the extreme diversity in habitats. And I know a couple of people have touched on it before when talking about the topic. Juan, I think, mentioned it in his podcast with you as well. So it makes, yeah, it makes birding really, really, really productive. And that really is just because of the vast amounts of different habitats. So, uh, you know, whether it's these high altitudinal grasslands to the sort of southeastern parts of the Wairakating region, or whether it's these wooded valleys towards the northeast and towards the northwest, this typical arid uh, thornfelt and bushfelt as well. So, no, it's, it's, it's incredible. Obviously, within the city limits and, uh, you know, that I spoke of, this megatropolis, so to say, you know, we get the usual stuff, you know, common garden birds and cape sparrows and African olive pigeons and such. But um, you get some other weird and wonderful things turning up. Uh, the occipiters are quite great, you know, black sparrowhawk, little sparrowhawk, um, avambo sparrowhawks are all relatively common. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's still, it's still pretty productive birding, even if we can't get away from the city, which is, which is great. But the whole water cutting area is just, it's, it's phenomenal birding wise. And I suppose like, um, the reason birding in town is so good is because isn't like, in Gauteng, uh, isn't Johannesburg uh, or Pretoria one of the biggest man-made forests in the world, if I'm correct? Yes, yeah. So that's this megatropolis that I speak of. So if you look at it from right. sort of like a satellite image, 
um, the areas between Johannesburg and Pretoria and both of those cities themselves. Um, I mean, it's really just separated by what an hour's worth of driving, if that Joburg to Pretoria. I mean, I do that commute almost daily now. Um, and yeah, I mean, you're driving through Centurion and Midrand, which are the two sort of uh, areas in between and it's just it's just trees everywhere and it has become literally that an urban forest setting so it's not you know you mentioned the word forest and we think of these ridiculously high trees and you know really interesting species like you know stuff we'd get in and around the escarpments the eastern escarpments around Bukhubu's cliff and Zanin and Peddler's Bush those places uh, it's not it's not those types of birds that we're getting here it's not Afro-Montane forest it really is just um, the term forest being used loosely for an extremely high density uh, or an extreme high amount of trees in, in an area. It's, it's very, very green in comparison to other built-up city-like settings across the world. So hence the term urban forest. So yeah, it provides some great homes for birds. That's really amazing. I don't think... Um the the urban area around here in the garden which is nearly as much as that i mean um it's not as wooded as in uh gauteng is i mean i've only been to gauteng province i think once or twice traveling through to kruger or something and we stayed overnight and yeah i mean driving through the city was just trees and bush everywhere and birds were going and stuff uh, but i didn't manage to get much birding done and hopefully i can manage to get to the the province sometime soon and see you guys uh, but i'll chat a bit about that a bit later on um, but i'm really looking forward to getting to gauteng sometime to up my south african list um, but over the last while i've been watching your guys instagram stories and posts of you guys doing a lot of snare clearing uh, can you tell us a bit about what snare clearing or snare sweeping is rather yeah, so, yeah, no, we're heavily involved in, you know, the anti-poaching efforts and that, uh, in the conservancy that we stay in. We stay in a, a conservancy here just west of Rudderplot Dam, which is northeast of Pretoria. If you have time to whip out a map quickly whilst listening to this podcast, if you're not familiar, you can do so. And uh, it's, a, it's a little conservancy called the Biffles Drift Conservancy. And, um, yeah, basically, you know, it, as, you know, anywhere in South Africa where there's wildlife, or Africa, really, um, obviously there's people who are struggling out there, people who don't, you know, can't afford food, people who have families and need to provide food. And, uh, you know, naturally they, they do their best to try and, you know, source food, um, to be providers. And a lot of the time that entails coming into an area and setting up, um, you know, these heinous devices known as snares, which is essentially just, uh, modified wire, uh, whether it's fencing wire, whether it's barbed wire, whatever the case might be, they've taken it, modified it so that it can act as a noose. And uh, they put it in strategic areas across game paths or in areas where there's a lot of game activity. Um, and they essentially then just set these up and hope that an animal will then walk through it and either have a foot caught in it or neck caught in it or whatever the case might be. And they'll then return to that area uh, and obviously collect their, um, you know, their catch, and obviously that way get some, some, yeah, you know, some, some source of food. Now, obviously, it's an extremely inhumane way of, of, of hunting. It's completely illegal. It's, it breaks all types of, of laws in our land, and um, yeah, you can imagine the distress that a lot of these animals are put through. So yeah, like I said, we're fortunate to stay in this conservancy, but you know, with that comes 
we think a responsibility to obviously um you know act as as, as a voice to the voiceless i.e the wildlife and so occasionally yeah, we spend our time recently we've been doing a lot of uh spending a lot of time out in the bush busy doing snare sweeps and yeah i think over the past four snare sweeps um i did i think the first two something like that and tony handled the last uh or the majority of them and um i think she ended up pulling up almost close on a hundred different snares or over a hundred different snares so obviously the bush now is a lot you know it, it had been a while since there'd been snare sweeps done and you know we embarked on this initiative to remove the stuff and um yeah so obviously that's that's a lot of snares over a long period and in subsequent follow-up sessions now we we're taking out one or two here and there and none of them really look new so um it's good because yeah obviously it shows that there's presence in an area and hopefully it deters these people from trying their luck uh and coming into the conservancy this area where there's wildlife and how do you guys go about doing it so yeah i mean essentially we get the community involved we then uh, have a demarcated area. We know the area quite well. We then say, you know what, this is this little block here is where we're going to focus our, our our efforts, and we'll s sort of space ourselves out and we'll walk a line through the bush. And um, yeah, I mean, listen, obviously you're going to get through to some dense stands of bush stuff we can't get through, uh, and you'll have to navigate your way around it. And um, yeah, I mean, I think in our chat before this, I was explaining to you that you know the stuff. Uh, you know uses game paths uh you know the animals don't necessarily go you know bundu bashing through the bush themselves they'll make use of the highways in the bush that we 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 call and that's their game trails and um you know what the poachers will know that and they will set up snares along those trails and you know where there is animal activity so it once you get your eye in and you pick up your first one or two snares it actually becomes relatively easy because you know what you're looking for they use the bases of the trees or bushes or whatever as a anchor so that obviously if you're catching an animal the size of a zebra or blessbok or something like that um you know that animal's going to put up one hell of a fight so they need to anchor the snare down properly and that requires placing it on a fairly large tree so um and or next to any game path so yeah like i said once you get one or two your eye starts getting in and you start picking them out with relative ease and uh, you know if you do so in a controlled line and you've sort of demarcated an area um sweeps like that of an area can be very 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 successful and productive uh, when you said uh, you sort of get like an eye for it it's almost like bird watching when you start birding you kind of just start of you just sort of start seeing you know uh in the corner of your eye there's like a dot over there and you know where to look if there's a bird um so it's almost like learning a skill so it's kind of like bird watching i guess but i mean i mean this isn't directly related to birding but uh, if you look at the bigger picture um protecting animals that people are snaring for food and uh protecting them to save the environment uh, that they are in and the, the the ecosystem also contributes to bird life because i mean if you get rid of the zebras in the area then the grasses are going to overgrow in which case certain species of birds are going to become more numerous and blah, blah 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 the whole ecosystem gets disturbed so i think it's flipping important work that you guys are doing and it's it's hard work as well so i mean well done that's pretty cool no thanks mark appreciate that and yeah i mean it's one of the many things we are passionate about and which we're involved in obviously you know a lot of people might know tony and i as you know these hardcore birders and stuff like that um as professional bird guides and tour guides and uh you know this is just one of the things we try and do in our in our pastime 
um, you know, try to give back to conservation in some other way. Um, yeah, so it's if the more the more we can do to give back, the better. And obviously, yeah, I mean, birds are our passion, but wildlife and conservation is is our passion as a whole. I mean, that's the umbrella under which our birding falls, I guess. So yeah, I mean, if we can assist in other facets of it, then that's what we'll do. So no, we're thoroughly enjoying it. So no, thanks, appreciate that. Lucky man. And what happens with the snares once you guys have collected them? Because now you've got this big bunch of wire. Where does that go? So we recently got into contact with a fantastic organization called Down to the Wire. Um, quite a few of the listeners may be aware of them. I know they've kicked up quite the stir over social media in terms of um, their project that they're busy you know, going about and the way they're busy giving back to conservation, which I think is absolutely fantastic. And uh, basically what happens is they've taken um, or they take snares that they find in the bush and they convert it into jewelry, which you can wear, both jewelry for males and females. Uh, and basically, yeah, you're basically purchasing jewelry uh, which is made out of the very material often removed off of animals which you know had been entrapped within it and uh it's it's fantastic because it's quite ironic as well because you know we actually want <laughs> more snares to be placed in the bush because the more snares placed in the bush means the more wire collected the more wire collected means more jewelry and the more jewelry uh means more funds and the funds go directly back into conservation in terms of you know covering veterinary costs um you know to bring out vets to assist in removing snares and treating the wounds of animals that have been caught in snares and ultimately saving lives so you know it's fantastic you know i know these guys operate in the low fault like i said we've this recent batch of plus or minus 100 snares we've collected is lying here waiting to be sent their way um but you know what it's it's fantastic and we'll continue supporting them because uh you know that way we're not just collecting wire it's not just lying around it's going straight out of the bush and uh, taken out of the hands of those who are trying to cause damage with it and um yeah giving it back into conservation and even though it might not be helping within our immediate area in terms of going back into conservation if it's in and around here at the end of the day it's going back into conservation in our country and uh that's all that matters to us so we'll we'll do our thing here and uh if our efforts are helping you know our brothers in the low fault and sisters in the low fault then so be it yes like that is it's such a cool thing to to make out of um something negative into something positive that generates money it's uh, i think it's actually absolutely brilliant and i mean i've seen someone down here in the garden route i think you said that uh down to the wire is actually uh based up there where where's it based? Uh, in Hoodsprays. In Hoodsprays. So I mean, I've seen someone here in the garden route wearing one of their bangles, and I've got to get myself one of these bangles. I mean, I could see that they have such a uh, a cool design, and they're so specific. So I mean, I even noticed someone walking around here uh, where I stay in the south part of South Africa wearing one of them. It's like shucks. Okay, that's from down uh, from the from down to the wire. I follow them on Instagram. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, that's it's a really cool initiative that they're doing. Yeah, I know it's brilliant. Yeah. It's, it's it's extremely authentic, and uh, you know I think it's a great way to, like you say, take something so negative and turn it into something extremely positive. So, no, it's brilliant. And uh, yeah, for all the listeners, go follow them on social media. They put great content out, and yes, yeah, some of their content is extremely. Um, 
how can I say, I mean, it's graphic, I'll, I'll be honest with you, some of the stuff, but in the same breath, you know what, it's those images and stills and that, 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 that really portray a message. It's one thing, you know, posting all the cute and fluffy stuff and, you know, product placement pictures and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, that grabs your attention. Yes, but it's still not grabbing attention as much as, uh, you know, the, the, the reality of things will. And, um, you know, the, yeah. occasion, the occasional image yeah. of portraying what these animals are going through, I believe, is what's assisting in, in selling the product and which is what's obviously assisting in bringing more money in. So it's, it's a great initiative. And I saw another interesting topic, actually, that you posted the other day um, about how people posting pictures of them handling wildlife can have a negative effect. Now, what do you think about people doing this? Yeah, it's another interesting topic um, because, you know, there's pros and cons. You and I were having a chat about it earlier. There's pros and cons to either side. Um, a lot of the people, so yeah, I mean, for those listening, I posted a story on my Instagram and I basically asked everybody for their thoughts and opinions in terms of social media influences under the blanket of which I then put any guides, any photographers, whatever the case might be. By the word influence, I meant individuals within those professions who may or may not have, you know, a good couple of thousand followers on their platforms. And uh, the the question that I posed was basically, you know, do... Um, you know, do people believe that it's what well, what are people's opinions rather on you know holding wildlife uh, and then basically posting it on social media? And I received a lot of you know good commentary, good feedback coming back, and you know I agree with I agree with both sides from certain aspects. So you know the way I view it is is basically this. You know what I think on in today's day and age. You know, social media is a way of communicating and sharing a lot of important, crucial messages, especially when it comes to conservation. But in the same breath, unfortunately, there's a lot of things that can be construed in an incorrect way. So, you know, if we look at something, if I take a picture and I'm busy holding a snake, right, for example, yeah. you know, a lot of people, you know, may or may not be educated enough to look at that picture and say, it will come to the conclusion that, hey, listen, John or Mark is a trained snake handler. They know how to deal with these situations. Uh, they're basically professionals in their own right, and they're not just willy-nilly going into the bush, grabbing a snake and, you know, living living the, the famous <laughs> life by, you know, just putting out yeah. risque content on social media. Yeah, you know, so that, 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 100%. So that's, that's the thing. So, you know, but in the same breath, those individuals who have the training and who, um, you know, have the opportunity, the skills to handle these animals and, you know, to go out there and post this content on social media, um, I believe they need to make use of those platforms, uh, you know, as, as best they can. And the reason they need to do that is to portray a conservation message. The minute somebody sees, and it's the same thing, right, talking back to the snare situation, the minute somebody sees something up close and personal, it's one thing talking about it, but the minute somebody sees something up close and personal, there's a different kind of, 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 process in one's brain that starts being you know becoming implemented in terms of a deeper appreciation for what they're busy seeing 100 percent. they start they start to connect with the subject and um you know so so that's why i'm saying i agree with both sides i agree with the individuals who are saying you know what 
don't just you have these thousands of followers so don't just go out there and post this and you know that you need to make sure that people understand that you know you trained or you have this you have this experience in what you're busy doing whether it's snake handling or whether it's bird ringing or whatever the case might be because there are unfortunately people out there who are going to have a look at the pictures and who are then going to sit back and be like oh well, i'm going to go do that and you know who knows maybe that one person goes and grabs you know a cape cobra or something like that because he or she may be too you know um might not have the the the, the training or or I don't know the awareness in terms of knowing that the personal post that they saw on social media was by an individual who has some kind of training and that they know how to handle these animals. So there needs to be some other kind of disclaimer somewhere um, for those individuals yeah. who can't make that connection. So you know I understand from that side of the things. Uh, another argument is don't touch an animal if you don't need to, and you know that brings into comparison you know two amazing naturalists uh conservationists is david attenborough and steve Irwin. and they're my defaults i love the dudes they're fantastic they've done amazing work and they both have different approaches david attenborough won't touch anything uh unless it's in captivity unless he has the opportunity to you know to to really then obviously touch it he's not going to um especially not a wild animal i very seldom you'll very seldomly see david attenborough pick up a wild animal on the complete opposite end of the spectrum you've got steve Irwin, who sees a snake and pounces on it and you know who will who will you know jump into a, a flipping you know river and 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 onto the back of a croc so you know you've got two different people um and two amazing people in their own rights amazing conservationists amazing naturalists who um yeah you know there's pros and cons for each side and you know i just think if i had to sum up the whole thing um you know i can you can never take just because Steve Irwin is jumping on snakes, you can't take what the oak did away from him. He did amazing work for conservation. He was an amazing person. He educated hundreds and thousands, if not millions of people about our wildlife yeah. and taking care of wildlife. And so is David Attenborough. So just because the dude did things differently uh, and a lot of people might disagree with it, you can't take away from at the core of his existence and who he was as a person, what he did for conservation. Make sure to tune in next week for part two of my interview with John. Thanks for listening and remember you can check out The Birding Life on all your social media platforms and your preferred podcast players. Until next time, happy birding. Mm -hmm.